Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here. As the curtain comes down on the year 5778, and we prepare for the Hebrew New Year, Rosh Hashanah, we'll be speaking exactly about that, the classic blessing that we all bless each other, and that is to have a good and sweet New Year. In Hebrew, Lashana Tova Umetuka. A guten azisen yor in Yiddish. And this class is dedicated in honor of the Chaviv Schwartz grandchildren. So let's get straight into the topic. Everybody wants to have a good life. Say good. I'd like to have a good, a happy life, a good year, a sweet year. But what does good mean? Is it just a platitude? Start analyzing. Good has many different meanings. Some things can be good right at this moment and actually not be good for you. So the classic greeting that you hear that goes back years and years, millennia probably, a good and sweet year. What does that mean? What do those two words mean, good and sweet? Is it more than just a basic greeting? Why those two words, why not other words? As we shall see, that when you dig deeper, simple words like that have a tremendous layers of meaning, both on a basic and practical level, on a literal level, and also on a poetic level, on a homiletic and allegorical level, and ultimately on a cosmic and spiritual and mystical level. And that's what we are going to be addressing, as we shall discover some fascinating facts about what really defines a successful life, a happy life, a good life. Which, of course, is what, above all, is what we're all looking for. Beyond all the deeper goals, that really that we should be blessed with a year. (coughs) Excuse me. We shall be blessed with a year of prosperity and abundance materially and spiritually, all in good health. We should see nachas, gratification and satisfaction and pride from ourselves, from our children, from our grandchildren, from our families, from our spouses. We should be successful in our lives, both in our livelihoods, in actualizing our potential, and in building healthy and sustainable relationships. Anyone hearing all those things, if they are fulfilled in your life, pretty good. So let me begin by opening with a blessing, exactly that blessing. But let's discuss this in a more fundamental way. Because when you look at life, the truth is you see that everything breaks into more than one track. Life is not one-dimensional. So when you give a blessing to someone and say you should be successful, successful in what? In which part of life? And how you wake up and how you go to sleep and your ups and your downs. The fact is life is a journey. A journey consists of cycles and cycles consist of ups and downs. There are times when we're going to be very driven. There'll be times when we're more laid back or we're more introspective. So what real success is, is not that it should be one tone, one monotone, one color, one you, but that the navigation should be successful, that no matter what you face should be successful. So in these words, good and sweet, there are two pain explanations I'm going to discuss. One on a more deeper Kabbalistic level, and one on a more basic level. 
On a basic level, when you say, I bless you to have a good year, I bless you to have a good life, I bless that you should have goodness, well, goodness sometimes is not revealed. Like there's the expression in the Talmud, Gam Zula Teva, which means also this is for the good, even though ostensibly on the surface level it doesn't look good. Look good. Yet, in truth, is it is good. So when you say good, you want to add revealed good. And that's where sweet comes in. So on a very basic, literal meaning, sweetness is something you tangibly and palatably feel. I feel that it's sweet. Good can still be a concealed good, and it could be a good that we don't yet recognize. When you say good and sweet, you're saying not just good in general, but a concealed good that actually should be sweet, that I should feel the sweetness of it. That's on a very basic level. But then, of course, the question is, so then why not just say sweet year? Why do you need the word good? So, of course, you can answer, because besides the fact that we want, to be able to be pal- want it to be palatable and tangible and relatable, we also want it to be fundamentally good. We don't just want it to be tangible. We want it to have a good that lasts, and a good that, yes, I have no problem that the good is also deeper than what I experience. I just want to also experience it. So you can say good is that the fundamental good of something, and sweet is that I should also experience its sweetness. This actually was said by the Rebbe once when he was asked why he gives his blessing again and again when he would give a, the, the sweet cake for Yom Kippur or other times that he gave out dollars or something, and he said that with those words, it should be a shana teva masuka, a good and sweet year, and he explained it this way. His father, Rav Levi Yitzchak, who was a great Kabbalist, explains that the two words, teva, masuka, refer to two states that we always talk about, chesed and gvura. Chesed is good, kindness, goodness. Gvura can be severe, but there's the sweetening of the severities, which is called, the, Kab- the, Kab- the Kabbalists call it hamtakas agvuras. Hamtakas agvuras means the sweetening of the severities. That's like taking something that on a surface level can be very sharp, even on a physical level sharp, but you turn it into a sweet food, but it's a sweet that comes from sharpness. An example would be perfume. Many natural perfumes come from scents that are take away the, the, without, with, with, leave the toxins, and it can be a disgusting scent that comes from a skunk or from a musket. But you, re, you eliminate the toxic element. You eliminate the negative, and you have a very powerful, positive smell. Another example would be, not in the sense of sweetness, but I mentioned this many times, natural pearls. They come because of an irritation. An oyster is irritated by a piece of dust on its very tender underbelly. It secretes a fluid to protect itself, to so-called buffer its tender belly from, that, from the irritating uh, dust, and in turn creates a pearl. So there are things that are good at the outset, and there are things that good are come, the good comes from transformation. And he explains in this uh, classic letter, Rabbi Yitzchak does, that Rosh Hashanah and the high holidays are very much about sweetening the gvur of the severity. Why? Because Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur come after difficult days. Remember, if you're familiar with the cycle, especially if you're following the 60-day journey that I've done in my book and in our uh, daily emails and WhatsApps and all the different uh, channels we're using to describe this, to experience rather, to travel through the 60-day journey, the journey actually began, begins when the Jews leave Egypt, receive the Torah 49, 50 days later. 40 days later, the tablets are broken because they built the golden calf. Moses goes back on the mountain to pray for forgiveness. 
And that's the essence of this whole story. It's regaining love lost. Reclaiming love after there was a betrayal. So it's the sweetening of gvura, the sweetening of severity. Because initially it was the three weeks, it was the nine days, it was the saddest day of the year. But that gave birth to a completely new dimension of love. Because a love that comes after a betrayal, and you regain it, you regain trust, that is something that's even sweeter than initial sweetness. Now we all would rather not have the pain of a loss, the pain of a betrayal, the pain of a violation. But if you can rebuild after that, then it becomes indestructible. And that's in essence what the whole holiday season is about. Which is why Rosh Hashanah we say that God sits on the, on the throne of judgment and then but through our prayers He moves from the throne of judgment to the throne of compassion. So judgment is the gvura, is the severity and you are sweetening it. And when you sweeten something that comes from a bitter side or from a severe side, the sweetness is a lot deeper. So the two words, therefore, good and sweet, would refer to goodness would be obvious goodness, that's initially good, and sweetness would be the sweetness that comes out of the severity, out of a negative experience. And hence we have a blessing that covers all the bases. Life, we know, is not going to be constantly perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect person, there's no such thing as a perfect relationship, there's no such thing as a perfect experience. Everything has setbacks. But how do we deal with the setbacks? So when we bless someone, have a good year, we're saying things should be good. You should not need to go through a setback or deal with the severity. But when a severity will come your way, when you will be faced with a challenge, you'll be faced with, you'll be confronted, you'll be faced with something that may challenge you, betray you, violate you, I'm blessing you, you should also have a sweet year, that that should be turned into something sweet. Now ostensibly, it seems like these two interpretations, father and son, I believe Yitzchak and his son, the Lubavitch 7th, the Lubavitch Rebbe, seem to contradict. Because the first interpretation says, good, but the good can be concealed. And the second one says, sweet, and sweet, that's revealed. Whereas the second interpretation that I just elaborated upon suggests the opposite, that good is good, ostensibly good, initially good. And sweet is sweet from severity. But if you think about it, they're not a contradiction, they just add one to the other. Because even the interpretation that you're transforming the severity it's not that it remains severe and it's hidden the good. It's also revealing the good that you should actually tangibly and palatably experience sweetness. <clears throat> and good, in that interpretation, is a good that's there that doesn't need to be transformed from a negative. In the Rebbe's interpretation, he's talking about the basic two principles that something is good, that good could be concealed, could also be revealed, but it could be concealed. And the sweet means that you actually reveal the sweetness in it. So it's really not a contradiction, it's just an elaborate form of explaining two different dimensions. Now what it translates into our own lives, it was uh, when the, the first Ferris wheel was, I believe, uh, invented or created, was in Vienna. It was a very famous Ferris wheel. It was the late 19th century. When pictures and news of it came to um, different cities, it came also to the city of Lubavitch. So the fifth Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Shalom Dev Ber of Lubavitch, when he heard about it, <coughs> he shared an analogy, which I believe he shared with someone who was going through a difficult time and was asking for a blessing. In livelihood, it was not things that weren't going so well. So the Rebbe Rashab said, life is like a Ferris wheel. Life is like a cycle, like a wheel. A galgal hachezer, a turning wheel. There are times you'll be on top, 
But then know that the wheel's going to turn, and there'll be times when you're going to go lower down. And then when you're down below, don't think it stops there, the, the wheel continues to turn. And you go up again. So it's not just that there's ups and downs, it's that life is a work in progress. It's a journey. I mentioned many times about the cardiologist that I know came to the class from time to time. And a very beautiful, sweet soul, but had a difficult, has a difficult life. And once asked me, said to me, you know, my life is so horrible. Issues with his family, and I, without going into all the details. He says, bless me, bless me that I should just have a day of peace. Complete, utter bliss and peace. So half jokingly, I said to him, you mean like a flat line? Being a cardiologist, you mean, no, 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 no. No. When you look at a cardiogram, it's a flat line. It's not a good sign. It's a sign of that the heart has stopped. A healthy heart, what does it look like? Like, not physically like a turning wheel, but a cycle, a wave, peaks and valleys. And it has to be that way. If it's flat or any other way that's erratic, doesn't have the perfect, the perfect ellipse, which is the perfect wave, something's the matter. Now, we don't want to have extremes, extreme peaks and extreme valleys. That's extreme like euphoria and then extreme depression. You want to have a balanced wave. But it's a balanced wave. You cannot, the heart beats. There's a moment that contracts and there's a moment that expands. You exhale, you inhale. You can't be doing both at the same time. One, you are drawing in new air, fresh air. The other, you're exhaling the carbon dioxide. And that's the healthy way of breathing. It's the healthy way of life. It's a breathing, pulsating force. In the Kabbalistic words, based on the verse in Ezekiel, and the energy, the vitality, runs, shuv returns, yearns, and returns. Tension, resolution. And that's a healthy balance. So when we say, that a person should have both a good and sweet year, you're saying that no matter where you are in the cycle, wherever you are in the wheel, in your turning wheel, the wheel of life, you should be blessed. If it's something that's good and ostensibly you're on top, great, be blessed and hold on to it as long as possible. When the wheel turns and it may appear that there's a setback or you're down, or right now the, the, you're not at the peak, you're in the valley, know that that too can be turned into sweetness. Besides the fact that, of course, that it will continue and the wave will continue and it will climb again. Like the waxing and the waning of the moon, which we're compared to. Rosh Hashanah is a new moon. The moon, the moon disappears, completely obliterated. But only to be reborn again and to grow and grow. On the 10th, on Yom Kippur, the moon is getting fuller. And on Sukkot, the 15th day of the month, full moon again only to wane yet again. But every down is in order to bring an up. You read that Sarah Chaliyah, the descent is in order to bring a greater ascent. The, the bitterness or the severity is in order to bring out greater strengths. Just to give a few analogies of that. One classic analogy, think of a dam. You build up a dam, that's like an impediment, a block. The water begins to, the water, that rushing water is now stopped. What happens? The water begins to build up. The pressure, pressure, pressure. What happens after a while? The more resistance, the more severe resistance, 
the greater the pressure till it breaks through with such intensity. You would never imagine water has such an intensity. If you looked at the trickle of water before the dam was built, you'd never know it has such power. So where did this power come from? That's the sweetening of the severities. And the same thing is in our lives. There are times we have setbacks. We make mistakes. In all parts of our lives, you can either cover up the mistake, which of course is the worst thing to do. You could either just ignore it and move on. Or you can learn from it. And learn from it to the point that you become a better person. You become a better businessman, better business person. You become more, you excel at whatever it was because now you've gone through a setback and you've seen the downside. And that's what you want to learn from. And when you come back stronger, you're much stronger after the break because the sweetening has a power that a revealed or initial sweetness or initial goodness does not have. So when you want to give somebody a blessing that covers the spectrum of life, you want to speak about everything. You don't want to just hear about when the times are good. You also want to know what to do when times are a little rougher and tougher. And that's where the sweetness comes in. To take this a step further, we're going to go a little more into the more mystical Kabbalistic. It says, this is a Kabbalistic concept, the Gevuras are sweetened in their source. You have to go back to the source to sweeten the Gevuras. You have to go to a, to, a, to a greater place to be able to bring out the sweetness in something that appears to be, at this point, bitter or severe or difficult. What does that mean? It means because before it became severe, before it became a challenge, before it became bitter, it had a source. In the source, there is no such thing as a negative. The Kabbalists say that less smile hayatik. Hayatik is the level of atik. Atik is the highest level in the cosmic order, it's called atik, means it is removed. It's the higher level when we talk about, let's say, ten faculties that a person has, and then you have the transcendental faculties, chayi or keser, the crown, that's above your imminent faculties, above your, your functional conscious faculties. So atik is the highest level, sometimes associated with inner superconscious pleasure. And it says, there's no negative there. Why? Because from that perspective, everything is seen as a positive. Think of it like from a bird's eye view, can see the whole picture, can see the future. So the bird's eye view can see where this is leading to. So then you may think, right now I'm having a setback. But someone who has the bird's eye view sees the setback is only going to lead to a greatness that you could never have achieved before. You know, the classic business example they give from it is Johnson & Johnson's Tylenol crisis. So it was a 1980, uh, 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 okay, I don't remember the year, 89, 92, something like that. And tra- tragically, a few people died. And they discovered it was from cyanide-laced Tylenol on some shelves in the United States pharmacies. Of course, this was a, Tylenol was then at its height. It was replacing aspirin. It was the, the, the painkiller of choice, pain reliever of choice. And there was no prescription. So what does Johnson & Johnson do? So some said, let's write, we'll write it through. People will forget, we'll move on, we'll apologize. And we don't have to do anything. Others said, no, you can't. This is a serious crisis. And it could undermine our entire brand and reputation. So then the, who came up with the idea, somebody came up with the idea, then the contrary, we're going to take the bull by the horns. 
And, Tyler, and Johnson & Johnson came out then with something unprecedented, even counterintuitive. They pulled every Tylenol jar, every Tylenol bottle from all the shelves, $100 million of inventory. They pulled it all back, everything. It was, I think, six deaths or seven deaths, but everything. They went on a media blitz, including going on Phil Donahue and other shows, the CEO, and, and announcing that we are taking full responsibility. And not only are we taking responsibility, but we're going to create and invest in developing new tamper-proof bottles, which will not be able to be, uh, be, able to be tainted. And they came out with such an offensive, showing not only they take responsibility, but we're going to do everything possible so such a thing will never happen again. Now, there was a risk involved, because there are a lot of people who didn't even hear about what happened. And here, Tylenol went out with such a blizzard, they made so much noise. A lot of people in the Tylenol, in Johnson & Johnson said, what are you bringing attention to us? Let, us let's, let it be forgotten. They did the exact opposite. And what happened? They gained the reputation far better than they ever had before because they showed that accountability. This is the reversal of taking a severity, taking a true crisis, and transforming it. Now, in this case, it was a human error or was human crime. It wasn't at the root to say, and the root, the severity was good. But even the situation here where it, was a, where it could have been a complete debacle, debacle, and a situation where they would have been, could have destroyed this entire company, they turned it into an asset. Now, each case, this has to be determined. But the same is true in relationships. Relationships, unfortunately, go through challenges. And there may even be a betrayal, and there may be a violation, and there may be a, a, a lost trust. Someone betrayed another, infidelity, or other things. So you could think it's all over. That would be the natural reaction, you know? You had, you, you, we had a good thing going, and you destroyed it. Comes the story of El and Tishrei, this period of time. What does it teach us? It teaches us the Jewish people built a golden calf, which is a clear violation, literally like adultery and idolatry, because they married God. That's what it says. The marriage was the, the Sinai was like a marriage. A marriage contract was the tablets. And the chuppah, the canopy, was what taking the, the, the mountain above them was like a canopy. So it's a real marriage. A marriage made in heaven, literally a marriage of heaven and earth. And what did they do? They built a golden calf because Moses, they miscalculated Moses came down a day late. Very deliberate. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an oversight. Betrayal. And God says, what should I do? I didn't do it. The people betrayed me. I committed to them. I took them out of Egypt. I told them that I promised them the promised land. I gave them everything that they will need. They betrayed me. Now Moses could have said, I wasn't there, it wasn't my fault. And God actually told him, go build another nation. You weren't part of this. No. He took full responsibility over his people. He gave it to them over their heads, what they deserved. And went back to God, marched back up on the mountain. I want you to forgive them. Because he knew that there's a deeper love. And as severe as, the, as this is, and as much judgment necessary and accountability necessary... He wasn't minimizing the crime. He never minimizes the crime. He doesn't give excuses, which is part of the truth of it. He faces it head on, takes the bull by the horns. But he says to God, you created human beings, they're flawed. You can't tell me that if they make a mistake, it's all over. I need to have a back door. I need to have some hope. 
they will be accountable, and they will be held accountable, but I need you to open up a door for me. And he finally prevailed. It took 80 days, but he prevailed. Teaching us that you could, nothing can destroy a true loving relationship. Even a total violation and betrayal. But you need to work hard. You need to work double hard. It was 40 days to receive the law. It took 80 days to receive forgiveness. And Yom Kippur, he comes back with the second tablets. And then the marriage is complete. Now, which is a deeper love? The love that was there at Sinai, at Shavuos, initially, before this break? Or the love that came afterwards? So initially you say, what do we need this whole pain? I wish it was just that way, without betrayals, without the broken trusts and broken promises. Yes, of course we'd all prefer that. But after the fact, something that was broken, that's refixed, is even stronger than it was before. As There's a, there's a law that says, if someone challenges a contract, appeals it, and the contract is upheld, you can't ever challenge it again. It's similar to the idea of Court of Appeals. In our case, there's several, several stages, but it comes finally to the Supreme Court, so you can't keep challenging it. At some point, if it was upheld, it then gets a takeoff, it gets an intensity and an a, uh, a, a, a ironclad element to it that can never be challenged again. As long as it wasn't challenged, it still can be challenged. So paradoxically, it gets stronger when it's challenged than when it was not challenged, even though it's more peaceful and more pleasant to just have a contract without anyone challenging it. But that which doesn't destroy me, that which doesn't kill me, makes me stronger. Which is why, for example, we see older people don't have as many strains of colds, because once a, you, once a certain bacteria has entered and you had a cold, you, never, you become immune to it. So immunity is the result of going through a difficult situation, and that builds the immunity. From within the same idea, that within, like I said, from its root, the concept of homeopathy or antibiotics, that the thing itself, which is toxic, the thing itself that's an infection, can be turned into a cure. That severity becomes sweet. And then it can never attack you again because you've built the immunity. Because you've used it against itself. You've transformed it. So sweet is transform- transformative. Good is initial light. Sometimes the way it's expressed is Good is like sunlight. You get light, it's very bright. The moon is refractive light. It's not light that's coming directly. It's coming from the recipient that gives it back to you, like bounces back. Same thing here, that when we transform the negative into positives, then you have the experience of sweetness. That's the custom we take on Rosh Hashanah night. We take an apple and dip it in honey. And we say, that's where the original expression is should be a good and sweet year. Now, apples, very many of them are, not, are bitter. They're not all sweet apples. You put it into honey, what are you having? You're turning bitter into sweet. Honey itself, especially bee honey, from bees, a bee is a stinger. And that's the, the, the stinging bee is the one that creates a sweet honey. Yet again, an example of a severity being transformed. So while it's severe, it's not very pleasant. But when you transform it, it's even stronger and more intense than it was in its initial state. So now look at your life with these, through this lens. You'll see that there are times of blessings where you have been blessed, you've been given opportunities, given good parents, good educators, good 
situations that gave you the ability to thrive. But then there are situations in life where you ask yourself, why did this have to happen to me? For some of us, those questions are very intense because much of our life is painful and difficult. But whoever you are, even if you have a blessed and a good life, there's always going to be some setbacks and situations that you wonder, what the, why did this have to happen? For some people, the balance is the other way. There's more negative than positive revealed. But no matter who you are, remember, good and sweet. Both are lying in your life. Some of them are good on the, on the surface level, and others you have to dig. You need to look for, seek, transform. Use the situation to set back as a catalyst, as a springboard that can catapult you to new places and new dimensions. You show me success, and I will show you the bitterness or the severity that brought to that success. There's no such thing as success without any setback. Most great success stories came after a situation where it did not seem positive at all. Look, now, um, just recently, Apple is considered the first company valued at a trillion dollars. Now Amazon has matched them. Now, Apple, if you look at the story of Steve Jobs, there was a lot of setbacks. Yes, he built, then he was fired. And they brought him back, which is a rare thing. You don't usually bring back someone you fired. And look what he turned Apple into. You go through story by story of success stories. We only see the golden, the golden end of the, the end of the golden highway, whatever we call it, the destination. But we don't see the journey, and the journey is definitely always going to be more complicated than that destination. So, so when you look at your life, you have to think of it more in that type of perspective, which is a perfect time to do so right now, as we count down and we're coming to the end of the year. We're supposed to take perspective. That's how you step back. Don't get consumed with the minutia and the details. And you step back and you look back at the year. You say, okay, here's some of the positives. Here's some of the negatives. You look forward to the year and there's going to be challenges and there are going to be good times. And you look at it as one holistic picture. Don't see it as different pieces. It's one journey. It's one turning wheel. And some of it is good and some of it is sweet. Some of it is good, meaning you see the goodness and others, you have to transform the goodness from something that may seem the opposite. Or in the first interpretation, good can be something that is good in a general sense of the word, but you don't yet see it. And sweet means you actually reveal its sweetness. And the way you speak about it, you have all these dimensions. And we're told that the chsodim nustarim, which means the goodness that's concealed, or the sweetness that's concealed, and that's transformed into sweetness, has even a deeper goodness than the good that's revealed comes from a greater place, a higher place. Which explains the whole concept where you find the Torah, you'll find the chapter that we read always before Rosh Hashanah, a week before the week with Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah. We read the 98 so-called curses, clawless, negatives. To say, the basic ostensible reason is because to say that this end, the year of all curses should be ended and we should only have a year of blessings. But it also has another message. The story is told and the Rav Shneir Zaman of the Adi, who used to read the Torah every Shabbos. So one year, he wasn't there reading the Torah. His son, the Mitla Rebbe, as he heard the reader read, and heard these curses, he fainted. When they revived him, they said, why did you faint? He said, did you hear the reading? They said, but every year it's read. He says, yeah, but my father reads, I only hear blessings. And the Tatalein, Terech Brachas. 
doesn't hear curses. What does this mean? The text is the text. Because the text can be read in two ways. You can look at the text and say, literally, here's with the negatives. But if it's read by the right person, you see, ah, this negative is really the beginning of a new dawn, of a new positive. Similar to the story in the Talmud and the Makkas, where it talks about Rabbi Akiva and the other sages, his colleagues. And they're all staring at the Harabayas, at the Temple Mount. And they see the ruins, the desolation. And all his colleagues begin to cry. And Rabbi Akiva begins to laugh. They ask, Rabbi Akiva asks them, why are you crying? They say, because we see the fulfillment of those prophecies that due to the transgressions and iniquities of man, this temple will become desolate. Then you'll see fox running through the Holy of where the Holy of Holies once stood. Imagine a sacred place and suddenly you see it becoming a wilderness. That animals, wild animals are hanging around. And why are you laughing? He says, because when I see it, I see the end of the, the prophecy that says that after the desolation of the ruins will be rebuilt an even greater temple and will be even a greater revelation. So the question, of course, so then they answer, they say to Rabbi Akiva, Akiva nechamtani, Akiva nechamtani. Akiva, you've consoled us. You've consoled us. Akiva, you've consoled us. Double consolation. Reminds you of this nachamu, nachamu, the double consolation after Tishabov. And it's all connected to this period in time because we are now in the end of the seven Shiva de Nechemta, the seven weeks of consolation that come after the three weeks of affliction. We are experiencing Rabbi Akiva's vision. So what did Rabbi Akiva see that they didn't see? And why did he see it and they didn't see it? The explanation is Rabbi Akiva was a person who came through pain. He did not have good revealed. Till age 40, he didn't even know what the Torah was. And it was a woman that he met that convinced him to start studying and this famous story with the rock and the stone that the, that bore, the water that bore a hole through the stone and Rabbi Akiva did exactly that. He committed to studying. Rabbi Akiva was a, either a convert or a child of converts. His name itself indicates something. Akiva come like the Akiv, like Yaakov, from the word heal. Heal does not indicate revelation. Heal is the lowest part of the human body. The part that's most callous. And yet Rabbi Akiva, because he came through those challenges, and age 40 made that decision, Kula Libra Rabbi Akiva, the whole Talmud follows Rabbi Akiva when he came back with his 24,000 students. Because he had an appreciation, because he came from the darkness. And a light that comes from darkness is always stronger than a light that's without darkness. The, the uh, sweetening of the severities. So when he saw desolation, he was able to see right through it and said, no, this is a stepping stone. Like my life is. The other scholars had a privileged lives. They did not see that. You have a similar way to explain another interesting and seemingly, seemingly, uh, uh, seemingly, uh, what's the word, uh, semantic disagreement. Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva have a disagreement about the Ten Commandments. That when the Ten Commandments include positives and negatives. Thou shalt do this, or thou shalt not. Thou shalt keep Shabbos, or thou shalt not steal. So they, this is their disagreement. When the Jews were told what to do, what did they say? They said, yes, we will do it. What happens when they were told what not to do? Did they say yes or no? So Rabbi Shemol says, 
They said, no, do not steal. They said, no. Rabbi Kiva says, do not steal. They said, yes. Not yes, they will steal. Yes, we will not steal. What's the basis of this disagreement? Sounds like semantics. If I say yes, you say to me, don't do something, and I say yes, I agree. Or I say no, I also agree, I, I won't do it. What's the difference? And one of their brilliant answers is this. Rabbi Akiva saw the yes even in the no. Rabbi Shmuel was a Kayan Godla high priest. He had a good life. Teva. Not the, the transformation of severities into sweetness. So when something is negative, you say no. No, you stay away, refrain. Rabbi Akiva was able to see that when you refrain from something, you're actually revealing a deeper good. Because that's the life he came from, Akiva. He didn't have the privileged life. He sees the sweetness in severities. He sees the positive in the negative. So what, is he, what do they say? They say yes. They say yes even to the negative because they, they, they see the yes, the positive energy that comes from refraining from doing something. So which is stronger? Doing something good or refraining from suing doing something bad? So most people would say doing something good. But sometimes it takes more energy to refrain from doing something you shouldn't be doing than to invest energy to do something you should be doing. Both are necessary, good and sweet. But it's two different tracks. And what it does is it gives you a new perspective on life, a whole new approach to look at everything you experience is going to be one or the other. It's either revealed good, or it's good that will emerge from the, from the darkness or from the severity or from the judgment or from the bitterness. Which is why we say the expression is the Zohar, those that transform darkness to light, who, will, who can enter this great place? Only one who transforms darkness to light. And what's the second half? And bitterness to sweet. Perhaps that can help explain a little how what the, what the Rebbe's interpretation, good, can be also hidden good, darkness. And sweet is revealed sweet, but it could also be sweet coming from the severities, bitter to sweet. So dark to light and bitter to sweet. But it all in its root really originates from a place, from one place, because we don't have a duality. We don't have a God of darkness and a God of light. We say, shapes light and creates darkness. The same entity. So dark and light are actually two sides of one coin. When we say, when there was evening and there was morning, one day. The unity of one day consists of revelation and concealment. Because the concealment really has hidden in it the, the power of revelation. Because it's leading toward that. It's a concealment in order to reveal, like a teacher who conceals some of the ideas in order for a student, a beginner, to get it. But within that, the contention of the concealment is to reveal. And the same thing the other way around. Within the revelation lies the intention of concealing. Because why is there a revelation in the first place? In order to bring it to a level that are lower. So revelation and concealment, darkness and light, are really two sides of one coin, as is bitterness and sweet. So when we bless each other, this will be a year, the Shana Teva Masukah, as we will say, the first night of Rosh Hashanah. When we take the sweet, when we take the, the, the apple and dip it into honey, and a blessing that we will repeat many times, has far more depth and meaning than just nice words like good and sweet, yeah. Tevo musuka. Shana tevo musuka. You're talking about covering every dimension of life. Because each one of them, of course, has many multi-subcategories, sub-subcategories. 
but in general is the two directions, light and dark. Chesed and Gvura. The positive and the negative, or the, transmit, the revelation and concealment. And they really come together as one. And that's what makes this universe so balanced and so beautiful. If there was only light, without any gradations, without any regulation, it'd be too overwhelming. If it was only dark, it would be too overwhelming the other way around, like airtight, closed, everything is like sealed. You need the perfect balance. The perfect balance. You look at the human body. If everything just flowed, there were no valves and no gauges and no regulation, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be able to survive. You need your heart beating, like you said, beat, contract, and expand. Breath, and inhale and exhale. The pulsating energy. It travels through the body at a certain pace. The blood has to be perfectly thick, but not too thick and not too thin. Perfectly balanced. Balance, the harmony. The harmony between light and dark. That there's not pure Flow and there's not pure um, block um, uh, impediment. You need to have a flowing energy that is both being gauged and regulated while it flows. That's what makes for healthy organisms. That's what makes for healthy imbalances. Balances. That's what makes for healthy institutions, healthy marriages, healthy relationships. It's a give and take with a balance that nothing dominates. Everything is giving but also taking. Give and take. And everything is balanced and it's regulating and it's regulated in its flow. And as we expand our channels, we're able to receive and contain even more. That's the process. As we climb, as our minds expand, we receive more light. As the Kabbalists put it, the concept of lights and energy, or energies and containers. And lights and containers. Iris and Kalim. So there's a flow and there's a containment. And then the and the container expands, more flow. And this continues to grow and grow and grow to the point where they become like one. Utter unity between that which is good and that which is sweet. And everything, everything in life fits under that spectrum, those, the, the spectrum of these two extremes. So our challenges tend to the new year with that attitude, with that perspective. It's so empowering because there's then nothing can phase you. To say, I just want to have good days, reveal good days. God bless, you should have it. But when something comes that may not be exactly the way you wanted it, then you can, be, you can be thrown and overwhelmed. But when you know and you anticipate that there'll be storms, there'll be stormy days, there'll be ups and downs, there'll be setbacks, and it's all part of a big picture, it's all part of a holistic journey, it changes your whole attitude. First of all, you have less fear because you've anticipated it all, you're ready for anything. Secondly, you realize that even the negative can be transformed and you have that confidence. And thirdly, it's all part of one big picture of unity. And when you see it that way, life becomes a lot more bearable. Not just bearable, I would say even a life of blessing and success and we can thrive. Because we're able to take all the different angles and dimensions from the good to the sweet and understand whatever we're going through, there's a place for it and how it fits into the bigger puzzle, into the bigger picture. So here, my friends, we're coming to the close of this Hebrew year. Well, there will not be a class next Wednesday because of the holiday. Uh, the holiday ends on... Uh, uh, actually, there will be. I'm sorry. I take that back. There will be a class next Wednesday. Rosh Hashanah is Monday and Tuesday. So I encourage you all to find a good synagogue to go to, hear the shofar blowing. 
dedicate your heart, your soul to these days of renewal and they can bring you renewal. So look at the shofar, again balanced. The shofar is narrow on one end and wide on the other, symbolizing that which we say in the prayer when we, before we blow the shofar, one of the verses, from my, from my distress or from my dire straits, I call to you, God, from the narrow. And God responds, Anani responds, with expansiveness. The sound of the shefer requires a narrow mouthpiece, but a wider opening. And the same is the call, the beckon and call, the call and response between us and God. We call from our distress. It could be from severity, from pressure, from being overwhelmed, from being under, under, a, lot of, under a lot of stress. And what happens? We call out from the depths of our heart and we get a response that's, much, that's not commensurate to our call of expansiveness because that's what distress signals are like. A cry for help, a sincere cry. Bring something that's far, far deeper and greater. Again, you find the sweetening of the severities. So everyone should be blessed with a truly good and sweet year in every aspect. In life, in health, in livelihood, family life, personal life, abundance materially and spiritually in ways that are far beyond our expectations. And remember, our part in this is to look at our lives, whatever aspect of it is, and know it's part of the turning circle, part of the turning spinning wheel, and that that one wheel continues to spin. That's what life is about. It's not a life of a one-dimensional life. It's full of cycles and full of dimensions and multicolor, colorful life, multidimensional. And each one is part of experiencing some greater, higher unity. Both the darkness and the light create that one day, one illuminating day. And you can see the light within the darkness and the darkness within the light. You know you're going in the right direction. So it should be a blessed year. And please know that we're here for you, Meaningful Life. And we invite you to call upon us, anything we may, can help you. We also would love to you know, contribute and be part of our work by partnering with us financially. It's a great opportunity as we come to the end of the year to make a good, generous pledge to any good charity. But we also include ourselves, obviously. You can go to MeaningfulLife.com slash sponsorship and be part of the end-of-the-year appeal that we make in honor of ourselves, our loved ones, and so on. And in general, just be part of whatever we're doing. And please share your thoughts and feelings, and we will reciprocate and vice versa all together as one unified whole, trying to all look for and seek out to build a better, meaningful life. As we go into the new year in a renewed way, as the mystics tell us, that as the sun comes down, as the sun sets the night of Rosh Hashanah, the entire universe goes into a comatose state in anticipation of its contract being renewed. And the good news is, even though it may sound comatose, it sounds like it's going, the sun is going down, it's meant for a rebirth. And then an energy enters into existence. The words of Rav Shneir Zaman of the Adi and the Tanya in his fourth section of Geras HaKedosh, Epistle 14. He says, a new unprecedented energy enters into existence that never ever existed, this energy, and never will. 
opening up new channels, new opportunities, new possibilities for all of us. We have to make the containers to contain that energy. And that's by having new attitudes, new resolutions in all areas of our lives, in our study, in our prayer, in our good deeds, in our mitzvahs. And that creates the container for channeling and containing this new unprecedented energy. So everyone should be blessed exactly with that, these new possibilities. Use them to the fullest for a very blessed and good year and healthy year. Be blessed and everyone have a happy new year and a good Rosh Hashanah. And we will talk next Wednesday in the new year and continue this journey in a renewed way and a new fashion with new blessings and new opportunities. Be well and have a very good Rosh Hashanah. Pray well and may all your prayers be answered. Be well. Thank you.